lady. I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Well, gang, raise your hand if your family has some weird, bizarre story back in the past somewhere. Raise your hand. Okay, now let's try this. Everybody raise your hand a minute. That's more honest, okay? Listen, everybody's got an old weird uncle or something in the past. In fact, I, I mean, stories that really define us. Maybe it's a story of romance or a child's rescue or something or a moment of accomplishment. Maybe your great-great-grandfather or something is Thomas Edison. Everybody's got a story. If you recall two weeks ago, my wife and I taught together, and some of you might recall that she trespassed on my ancient ancestors, the Cherokee. Do you remember when she did that? When she mocked me? There's still a wound. I don't know if it comes. My wife's in the front row, and, and I'm, I'm thinking it's probably jealousy. Well, she picks on my people because I am 132nd Cherokee. All right, so, which means that I can't really brag about it. I can't claim anything. I get nothing. I don't even know why I mention it. But for some reason, I'm proud. It's part of who I am. In fact, I'm not just part Cherokee, but my great-great-grandfather was a Cherokee Indian chief. Chief Wanahakalugi. He really was, honestly. <laughs> That wasn't his name, but I kid you not, I did have a chief somewhere back there, probably some small tribe of just his family, but I promise you, there was a chief in there. Well, in some ways, the stories we remember and tell shape us, don't they? I mean, sometimes you look back and, and you think, you know, I hope I'm not like my great-grandfather who was this. I hope I, hope I am like my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, whatever, who was this. They, they shape us. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good, but it's hard to get away from that. Things in our past kind of tell who we are. Explain where we come from, they shed light on who we are, they guide our steps as we move forward. Maybe some things, some potholes you don't, you don't head for and you're not going to fall into because you know a little something about how you're predisposed, about how you're shaped. That's one of the reasons that the Bible's so important. That's one of the reasons that this series that we're doing is so important. This might be the most important series I've ever done as a pastor. Because in this book, if, if some of you were sitting there and didn't raise your hand, when I told everybody to raise their hand, which is just defiant of you, which I love, you know, I, I love rebels. I was once one, still am. Gang, you do have a story. Whether you believe it or not, you got a story. It's in here. This is our story. More importantly, this is his story. In fact, where do we get that word, history? It's really his story. Go way back. Whose? God's, this is his story, and because of that, and because he created us in his image, this is our story. If you don't think you have a story, get familiar with this book. You do have a story. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to start the timer, so there's a chance I may go a little longer today <laughs> than normal. Thank you for that token half clap. I don't know if, you f if your hand just fell on that one or what it was. Little golf claps are more enthusiastic than that. So, it's one of the reasons why we're going through this. It, it should be important, and, and you're going to see, and this is so cool, there is actually a thread. I call it a crimson thread, a scarlet thread that runs in the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It's just, it's always there. It's weaving its way. And you know, one of the things when you see, um, you know, when you see secular Hollywood put together a story and they say, oh, we're going to do a movie on Jesus, you always hold your breath. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be wrong, distorted. But uh, the, the uh, producer of Survivor, the biblically, theologically correct Survivor, no, the, the, but the producer of Survivor is a believer. And he married an angel, 
the, uh, the lady that was on Touch by an Angel. You guys remember that show 100 years ago, Touch by an Angel? Well, he, they actually are believers. And uh, he also is the producer of The Apprentice, The Voice. So he's a very powerful producer in Hollywood and a believer, goes against the, the grain and really wanted to do a powerful series that was epic. You know, not what so often kind of goes with, with Christian films sometimes, unfortunately, which is a little bit cheesy, but he wanted to make it epic and he wanted to make it biblically correct. You know, whether people accept it or not, he's going to stay with the book. And so they've done a lot of things that are really, really well done. Not everything's perfect, but it seldom is. But this is very, very well done. It's one of the best outreach opportunities probably since the Passion of the Christ. So this is what we're going to do in this series. We're going to retell some of the stories. And I guarantee you some are going to go, well, he skipped the part where we're going to skip a lot of parts because we only got about four or five weeks. In fact, we're starting a week late. So we're going to pull out some of the stories. I wish we could have started last week because the story of Abraham and, and really a lot of the Exodus was already shown on the, on the series last Sunday. Now, if you want to watch this, you need cable. Sign up today <laughs> for a cable. Unfortunately, you have to give your money to Time Warner uh, or DirecTV, whatever, and then you go to the History Channel. Now it's re-showing, if you miss it, from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock tonight on the History Channel. You can see it on Lifetime on Mondays, too. So there are some other channels that are picking it up, but they're all cable. If you do not have cable, one of the other opportunities we have, if you want to do this, gang, you can host a, a party. You can host a viewing party. Man, just get some popcorn, some snacks, and invite your neighbors over that, that don't know the Lord. Because let me tell you, there's not many, there's not many people that, that even if they won't go to church, wouldn't watch something about one of the most important, well, the most important figure in history, Jesus, on the History Channel. For some reason, they trust the History Channel more than they do the Bible. So it's really not hard to get people to watch it with you. They're probably watching it anyways, 15 million of them anyway. And so why not have a, a viewing party, and then as questions are raised, which they undoubtedly will be, um, go ahead and say, listen, my church is going through this. And they're going to address some of these things in more detail. So it's an epic series running on the Sundays, culminating on Easter. The Bible miniseries presents the vast variety and sweeping scope of the Bible stories. And we're not going to hit them all, like I said, but we're going to hit the ones that show you that thread that I was talking about. It is those stories and their messages that are occupying our attention every single Sunday past Easter even. Now what we're thinking about doing in our life groups as well is, there's, since there's no way that we can cover the whole depth of this, is stopping our current series when Easter is over and then going through a five-week series that's already been written by Rick Warren. Anybody heard of Rick Warren? Uh, Saddleback Church pastor, and it's a five-week series that goes even deeper into these deals uh, into the same exact study that we're doing here. Uh, we'll follow that after Easter. Now, if you want to still go deeper, here's a book that you can pick up, written by Roma Downey, the angel, and Mark Burnett. Uh, it's called A Story of God and All of Us. So still another tool that you can do. In fact, well, let me give you one more tool, and then we've got to move on from this one. Here's a 30-day study. You can get this on Amazon, or you can just look this up on Google, and you can order these things. This is a 30-day study that, again, uh, enables you to go even deeper. In fact, do we have anybody, anybody here, their first time here today? First time guest. All right. Here, here. All right, why don't you come up here? Let, yeah, come on up. Uh-oh, they're both coming up, and I only got one book. I'd like to see a good fight. No. <laughs> oh, now they're both going. It's like the chickmunks after you. No. Well, here you go. Here's my gift to you, the Bible 30-day experience. And listen, you can use this as a devotional every single day and track with us. Now, do you live around here? 
Yes. You do? Okay. Because if you were going to say Florida, I was going to take the book and give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, gang, if you want to get this book, The 30-Day Experience, and track along with us in the devotional, again, you can order that on Amazon, and there's many, many ways to, uh, to follow this even deeper. Listen, here's my prayer. And I'm going to open up our, our study today in prayer in just a moment. I want several things to happen, two or three things that I, I know happen anytime you open up God's Word, but I hope they happen in this series. One, I want you to see these stories from the Bible like you've never seen them before. Like you've never seen them before. I want you to see them as more than stories. I want you to see them as truth. I want you to see them as God's Word. I want you to see them how you fit in the stories. They aren't stories about something completely unrelated to you that has nothing to do with anything. They're stories that completely relate to you and have to do with eternity. Number two, I want you to gain a better appreciation for God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. In other words, I want you to gain an appreciation for that thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It matters. That thread is the most important thing in yours and my life. And number three, experience greater insight into God's love for you. Because, I mean, I think sometimes if we're honest about how we feel about God, most people would say they're a little bit scared of Him. Many of you ask people generally, what do you feel about God? Most people, maybe they wouldn't say it out loud, but they're kind of say, I want to kind of hope that He doesn't notice me. I'm kind of living my life to not be noticed, which is not a good way to live your life. A better way to live your life is the way that He shaped you to live your life. And when you fully understand that God loves you, you'll be free to do that. When you don't believe that, you're going to try and fly under the radar and live a mediocre, at best, life. So those are the three things I hope and pray, in fact, let's pray, that God will do for us. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts, Father, the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our hearts in this series, beginning now. Lord, not just at church, but also as we go through studies after Easter, Lord, as we pick up the books and, and individually take devotionals deeper. Lord, I pray that these stories would transform into more than stories that will <clears throat> see ourselves personally in your word and realize there's nothing that we're doing in our life that is more important than living all out for you. God, when I think of some of the pursuits, and they're important that we follow in life, jobs, marriage, all that, they pale if we don't know you, God. They're actually meaningless and purposeless. Help us to see what you put in the heart of every man, woman, and child who's ever lived and will ever live, eternity, and how we fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story that we're going to focus on today is, oddly enough, one that's kind of blown by a lot for people, but it's hugely important. It's one of those thread stories. It's a story of Rahab. It's almost hidden away in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you where it's at. Go to the book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and the second chapter. This is hugely important because it's not just the story of Rahab, and I'm not going to tell you what her occupation is now because you might check out and not listen. But it's not just the story of Rahab. It's really our story in this as well. And it's as current as the newspaper today. It's very, very current from what's going on right now. But in order to fully appreciate Rahab's story, gang, we're going to have to understand the backstory. That's what I meant when I said everybody's got a story, everybody's got a past, and it kind of molds who you are. But to understand who Rahab is, you've got to go back a little bit and understand how Israel and the Jews got in the position that they're in in the first place. The story, the backstory involves the Exodus. And again, if you were watching last week, then you already saw this. If you weren't watching last week, you ever see Charlton Heston as Moses when he parted that jello, remember, with the fans on it in the Red Sea, way, way back? That's the first movie that was really done 
well, in its day, it was, it was an epic uh, uh, rendering of the story. And then there's the cartoon, the animated version. What's that, the Prince of Egypt? Or... So there's been a lot of, so you, even if you're not a believer, you know this story. But you go back to this exodus, the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt. As today's story begins, the background is this. God's people have been delivered from slavery, led through the Red Sea, and had wandered in the Sinai wilderness for 40 years. Now, why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? God delivered them from Egypt so that he could take them to this land that he promised to give them that was a fantastic land, flowing with milk and honey, which is just another way of saying it was great. It was paradise. They, they didn't enter it. The distance between Egypt and the promised land is not that far. It doesn't take 40 years to make that journey. But they messed up. Incredible miracles that God did. Incredible plagues he brought upon Egypt to show that these are my people and I am going to free them and to, and to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And yet, and the parting of the Red Sea and God's people getting through and Egypt's army being drowned in the Red Sea. The people see this and yet they get to the promised land, they see another army, another people, they panic and they want to go back. In fact, they'd rather be slaves than face these people that they think are giants. You know what God essentially says? He says, you know what, this group, they don't have the faith. So I'm going to send them into the wilderness. I'm going to keep them in the wilderness for 40 years, and I'm going to have this generation completely die out, and their kids are going to go in. You know, it's peculiar because sometimes people treat kids at church like a babysitting crew, right? Well, what do you do with your kids? Well, we got them back there doing something. Kids are huge at Impact Church, huge. And by the way, sometimes you'll hear us say kids are our future. They're not really our future at Impact Church. They're our now, right now. In fact, about 90% of people who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ do so before the age of 18. Did you know that? Before the age of 18, before the cynicism and the hardening and the sarcasm and everything comes in, most people's faith is still tender and young. In fact, the number one age is nine. Nine is the number one age. Followed closely by seven. I don't know what happens at eight. I don't know if they join a gang in there and then leave. I don't know what happens. But, but it's seven and, and nine. So... That generation that doesn't have great faith, even though they've been gifted with all the miracles, is left there to die out. Their kids number around the same deal, about two million. And then they're going to regroup and go in with greater faith. They had received God's law in the wilderness. They had coalesced as a nation, but they're still nomads. Their deliverance was really not complete because the whole package that God had promised was, I'll deliver you from slavery and I'll give you a promised land. They've been delivered from slavery, but they haven't got the promised land. It wasn't theirs yet. In order for that to happen, they had to conquer the most heavily fortified city in the entire land. And I want you to take a look at what that might have been like. Oh, God. 
quick. Over here! Get more men! I won't hurt him. Swear. You're Israelites. You've heard about us? You have a God who commands the winds and parts the seas. He saved us from slavery. We are his chosen. This whole city is terrified of you. How can we fight a people whose God can do that? Open up! Open up! Back in time! Open the door! Can we get out that way? Help us and we will help you. Go. I'll store them if I can. Come with us. I can't. My family. When our army comes, hang this on your door so they will know not to harm you. You'll be passed over. Did you find a way in? Is there a weakness? Not in the walls. But in their hearts. Joshua, we met a woman. She thinks God has taken the city already. The people melt in fear because they know he is with us. God is with us. So there was a key line in there. I don't know if it was really said or brought up at all to Rahab, who that young lady was in the clip. But it said, show us the, uh, when he had said, we'll put out that scarlet rope, and we see that, and you'll be passed over. What's that a reference to? That's a reference to one that happened before. In the Exodus, 40 years earlier, God's people celebrated a thing called Passover. When we celebrate communion later on today, that's, the, that's what Passover has become. And communion is to remember God's shed blood on the cross, which is scarlet, which is crimson, which is that thread that I talked about. If you look closely, it's there. It's always there from Genesis to Revelation. And here it is again, not in the form of blood, but in the form of a scarlet cord hung out the window, which was her redemption, which would end up saving her. The people, what they did in the final plague, because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, they were to sacrifice a lamb, and there's blood, and they were to put the lamb on all of their doorposts and to stay indoors while the angel of death 
passed over. And if they had the blood, listen, here and here and here on the doorpost, which looks like Christ on the cross on purpose, then the angel of death as it went through the tail would pass over them. And here, if she hangs out the scarlet colored cord, the Israelites would redeem her, would pass over her and save her. And people, we think of being passed over something. We don't think of this as a good thing, do we? In our culture, passed over for a promotion, passed over for a starting position on a team. But here being passed over by the angel of death, this is, it's a big thing. By being passed over by the people that were going to conquer the city, it's a good thing. Now, getting back to Rahab and what we just heard in that brief clip, it's a recognition by the people of Israel that something like that is happening again. Something like that happened before and something like that is happening again for Rahab and her family as recorded in the first chapters of the book of Joshua. As I've said, that story, this ancient story, is really not a story disconnected. This story is our story too. So I've got a couple things I want you to write down, a couple of points. Here's the first one. My story starts out sad. My meaning you, we. Our story starts out sad. And you might be thinking, my story is pretty cool. I don't know about your story, Pastor, but mine's not sad. Actually, it is, if you look at it a different way. If you turn in your Bibles, like I said, if you're not there yet, get there to Joshua chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Let me read for you. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. I know, I know we're talking about entering the promised land, but when you're starting at a place called Shittim, anything looks good, in my opinion. But that's, that's, just, that's just my opinion. So we go on. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. Don't you love the Bible? You can't make this stuff up. You can see Joshua going there. Listen, stay focused, men. We got a mission. So they walk in there and they're like, look, a girl. And so they enter a prostitute's house. But we're going to find out here in just a moment that's actually pretty strategic. It's actually pretty important that they did this. They're not just ADD. This wasn't the first case of that. But there's a reason they did it. Strategic. Her name was Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here. They're trying to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message, this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. Not just Jericho, not just the most heavily fortified city, but Jericho was the gateway to the promised land. The gateway to the promised land, to all of what would become Israel. And the most, most uh, scholars think the most heavily fortified city, one of the first walled cities of its day, but the most heavily fortified city on earth at that time. It's more fortified defense-wise than Egypt was. So Jericho was a brilliant strategic choice. I, I get that. Its defeat would have made headlines, would have struck fear in the hearts of every other people as the Israelites came. It was kind of like, look at this, this little nation. In fact, look at this tiny nation of Israel. In fact, they're not even a nation. They're just gypsies. They're just nomads. But look at this group of people that, that don't have any, they live in tents. They just beat the most heavily fortified city. What chance do we have if they've done this? So it's very strategic. It makes sense. Once they're a nation, they're going to be smaller than the, you know, geographically than North Carolina. But this little nation is feared. You know what this would be like? We saw a, a documentary my son wanted me to rent this past week called Red Dawn. Any of you seen that? It's a little far-fetched, maybe, in which the North Koreans parachute in and, and uh, basically take over the whole United States. Luckily, the Wolverines at a local high school are able to put a stop to all that. So, I mean, if, if the, you know, the North 
Koreans are pretty famous for saber rattling, right? They're pretty famous for making noise. And they have some nukes that they've made. They can't really figure out how to fire them, but they've got them. What if they, and they claim they can hit the U.S. Well, what if they did do that? Wouldn't that put fear in the rest of the world? Sure, it would put fear in the rest of the world because right now we're the only superpower left. So if they managed to do that strategically, if they wanted to take over the world, you've got to kind of start with the United States. It's that kind of a scenario. That would have pretty much put fear in every other thing. It would have made all the battles to follow had the people been obedient a whole lot easier. Kind of goes like this. If Jericho can be defeated, then all the people would say, we don't stand a chance against these Israelites. Now, Rahab, on the other hand, when you first read this, you're going, this is just a bizarre choice. I mean, as God picks people, doesn't he pick the, you know, the, the people that have so much going for him? Doesn't he pick the upstanding people, the holy people? I mean, isn't that how it goes? And she's a prostitute. Seems strange. Not a very auspicious start to her story, anyway. But actually may have been pretty strategic. Understandable from the spies' viewpoint, right? I mean, I don't know how they knew this, but they knew as they're kind of slipping in and out among the people and maybe dressing like them and spying out the land, it's actually, not to get too crass or anything, but it probably makes a lot of sense for these two men to pick that house because men are coming and going all the time in the home of a prostitute. So actually, it would not have garnered much attention, right? I mean, people would have looked at that and just said, that's, that's what's always going on at Rahab's house. So it probably was strategic. That's not really what I'm talking about in the Lord picking her. It's amazing how key this woman is in Scripture, this often passed over story, because if you look at the genealogies in the New Testament, there's one in Matthew, there's one in Luke. One of them is the genealogy that follows Joseph, even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' father, right? The Holy Spirit is Jesus' father. But he's fully God and fully man. And so the fully man part comes from the line of Mary, do you know who's in Jesus' lineage? There's a lot of shady characters in Jesus' lineage. It just shows that he chooses people that don't have their full act together if they just trust. That's good news for me. I don't know if some of you are going, oh man, I'm too sharp. For me though, I, it's good news for me because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer and so I'm going, wow, he uses, he, and, and you know, I've done things I'm not proud of. So when he says he uses flawed people and you look in the lineage, you see that in Jesus' lineage is Rahab. Rahab. This is incredibly key. Especially for those of you that are sitting there going, what could God ever do with me? I mean, Pastor Rob, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Well, God does. You know who he can't use? People who think they're all of that. People who sort of saddle up there and go, you know what, God, you need me. You maybe have lost track of how you made me. You made me good. I mean, I can do just about anything. I'm athletic, good-looking. So anytime you're ready, I'll do a little something-something for you. I mean, God doesn't use people like that. In fact, you know who he uses? Those who have been sweetly broken. It's amazing in our culture, we run from brokenness. We try to arrange our lives so that it's as comfortable as possible, healthy as possible, wealthy as possible. And I'm not saying that you should shoot to be a loser. I'm not saying that you should shoot to have a broken life. But you know what? Until you've been broken and realize that you're not all of that and that he is, you can't really be used. God uses broken people. Can't get much more broken than what Rahab had or didn't have going for her. Anyway, how would you like that for your autobiography? A start like that. How'd you like that to be your story? Forever preserved in the word of God. 
Well, guess what? It kind of is your story. And it's my story too. You can dress it up any way that you want, and you can, like I said, you can say whatever you want, and you can claim whatever you want, but according to Romans 3.23, you might want to write that verse down. According to that, Rahab's story is your story. No matter how arrogant or how detached or how great you think you are, yours is Rahab's story because it says, all of sin, this is Paul writing to the church at Rome, all of sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me give you a quick Greek lesson. I took four years of Greek at Dallas Theological Seminary. Four years of Hebrew. It's an interesting Greek word for all. Do you know what it actually means? Yes, yes, it's, it's one of those words that doesn't mean anything else. It just means all. So how many people have fallen short of, how many people have sinned? Everybody, there's nobody who hasn't, especially the one that claims to have not. That's probably the greatest sinner in the room. All of sin, not some. Every last one of us. But listen, bad as that is, what I love to do is show you how it gets worse. So here it is. It gets worse than that. Jesus said, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Some of you are going, that's, now that's a little bit hard to swallow. What do you mean a slave to sin? Well, think about it. It's not like we lie and then we go, that was odd. I'll never do that again. That's a lie. Right there, you will. And most little kids, you know, it's something you really got to beat out of them. When they lie, they, and, and, and you do get away with some of it, or at least it looks like that. We'll probably go, that, that worked out nice. And then you lie again. And then you got to lie to cover up the lie. So because of our fallen nature, we usually sin more to cover up the sin that we did, and it's not like we're going to stop. It's not like, I hate, you know, I hate to say this, maybe your kids are different. Parents, let me see your hands. Okay, and me too. But in my household, I noticed that and let me just take me when I was a kid, too. The first time I disrespect my parents was not the last time I disrespect my parents. It happened again. You know what happened when you disrespected your parents in the Old Testament? Some of you like, I wish I lived in the days of miracles like that. Well, they'd stone you to death. So it's a pretty good incentive not to disrespect your parents. But most kids will probably do it again. Most kids don't fall down on their knees, father, mother, I've sinned put on sackcloth and ashes and never do it again. I mean, they just, they do it again. Now, that's not the problem. Most people don't sit there going, well, I, I've never sinned. Most people know that, but the problem is most people think their sins are more respectable than others. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, we do. But God says all have sinned and fall short of his glory. And sin to God is sin. A sinner is a sinner, and we're born in sin. God doesn't have a grading scale on that. So that's a sad story. <clears throat> Even though your sin might seem more respectable than mine, it's still sin. And it's still something else too. It's still slavery, according to Jesus. So like I said, that's a sad story. But it's not the whole story. There's good news. <clears throat> There's another way in which your story is true of you and me, and that is number two, if you're writing things down. My story involves a choice. So does hers. Joshua 2, 4 through 14, goes on to say this. But the woman had taken the two men in and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. Okay, lie number one. She's a prostitute and she's lying here. There's really nothing she does here that's right except one thing. She believes. She believes. She's still a very flawed person. I didn't know where they come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Lie number two. 
I don't know which way they went. Lie number three, go after them quickly. That's misleading too. You might catch up with them. No chance they're going to catch up because they're up on the roof. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax and had laid out that it, she'd laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. <clears throat> Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, for a great fear has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Can you imagine? We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Shion and Og and there were other battles where you know, other things that had happened in the 40 years. The two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed and they were powerful. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. Now they worship false gods but they're admitting here our gods are false and your God's powerful. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. So it's a little bit different in that view. It wasn't like she got cornered into that, and that's important. Rahab clearly had a choice, and she was bold in her choice. She said, I know that your God is true. I'm not just going to fear him. He seems to be true, and he seems to protect. Can I get in on this? Can I be a part of, of the chosen? Can I be forgiven too? Swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to me and my family. <clears throat> because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. You know, I like to do this anyway, but I was looking at some archaeological finds and this is another one. It seems like every time people are doubting a story in the Bible, God's up there just, just joking around with the angels going, watch this, I'm going to hold off on this one for five years. Let them get really dumb and then let them find it. And it keeps happening. And they have found the ancient walls. Now, they discovered some things in Jericho, but you know how they, in Israel, they keep digging deeper and you can see older and older civilizations. Well, now they've found the walls, the remaining parts of the walls. And it looks to them, <clears throat> to secular historians, it looks like there may have been a massive earthquake in that area. They brought the walls down. All except, even as you dig, you can see the north section of the wall. There's a section probably from the drapes to the drapes there, north section of the wall where homes were built right into the wall, that's still standing. That's still intact. Biblically, you know what I think that is? I think that's where Rahab and her family lived. I think that's where the scarlet cord was hung out there. That when God brought this earthquake, that remained, that stayed there. <clears throat> Our lives are your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now it's easy to read a story like that and not fully appreciate it. She hung something out the window, she got spared. These things happen, right? Well, let's take a minute to put ourselves in Rahab's shoes. She faced a decision, did she not? The king sent a messenger to her, the king of the most powerful city. She's heard things about the Israelites, but she's just heard them, right? Your God is a God who parts seas. It's a pretty incredible story. It puts a lot of fear in people, but she didn't see it, right? And let's face it, for most of us, seeing is the most powerful kind of believing. She nor any of the people in Jericho have seen any of this. They've just heard the rumors that everybody's heard and heard rumors from people who were maybe there, but not firsthand knowledge. <clears throat> she could have turned the spies away. She could have turned them in. She didn't have to help them. 
Not at all. In fact, it looked like the safe thing because guess what she does see? I'm just putting myself there. Maybe you guys aren't good at putting yourselves in there. You know what I, I see if I'm Rahab? I see walls. I see really thick walls. I see the most fortified city. I've never even heard of a city being fortified like this. And I see two measly spies. I know there's a lot of other Israelites out there, but it's just two guys, and they're kind of small, remember? They look like grasshoppers. We're giants. I mean, I just really can't imagine. I've heard the rumors, but I'm going to go with the city wall, and I'm going to go with my nation here. It's quite a leap to go the other way, isn't it? Why did she do this? And guys, I think it's a completely different thing than what's been taught. It's not even taught in this Bible series, but here's what I think it is. She sees more to her life. I think she's sick of the status quo. You ever look at the status quo and, and think you'd rather it's the status no? I, I, don't, want, I don't want my life to be this way. I, I, don't, I don't want to just live and then do these five or six things that are expected of me and to just put this square in this hole and, and that, that's it. I, I just follow the path boring. I think I shared it with you last week or maybe the week before. I used to love to read fantasy novels growing up. And I, I like to read them because the Bible to me is the most magical book. But what's cool about the Bible, it's true. So no matter what fantasy novel I read, whether it be The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, any of these things, they were cool, but they're made up. They're not true. This one's true. And when I look at that, I, I want my life to be more. I want to see these great big things that God talks about. See, the God of the Old Testament and all those miracles is still God. He's still the same God. He hasn't changed. In fact, in the New Testament it says, if you believe greater things than these will you do. Jesus said that. <clears throat> and so I think she thought, my life is, I, I see where my parents' life, I see where my life's going, especially the life of a prostitute. And if there could be something different, or if I could be forgiven, or if I could change this path and could actually mean something, why not cash it all in and go a different direction? I don't want my life to be meaningless. So she's given a choice between the side of the Lord and what he's on and the other side. She chooses the Lord's side, like a lot of you have done. And I wonder if something else was operating in Rahab. I wonder, like I said, if not just the status quo, but the, the belief, the stretch, the power that even though we're a powerful physical city, could there be a power beyond what I know? Could there be a power beyond what I see? Sort of that fantasy thing that me as a young boy wanted to believe and see, and, and do believe. I wonder if she was ready to be somewhere else. By the way, where did she live when it's all over here? Do you know? I mean, her family was spared. The walls did come tumbling down. You know the song, Josh fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. You know, well, then the walls came tumbling down. There's another verse, and Rahab moved in with them. She came to be, there's really no other verse. I made that up, but it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. She became, she lived with the Israelites, her and her family. And that's how the line started where, you know, you trace it back and the thread goes through Ruth, Rahab, David, Bathsheba, a lot of shady characters, like I said. She wanted her life to change. Could I have a better life than just being a prostitute? So she's ready to be somewhere else, ready to be someone else. So I think even in a crowd this size, there's probably somebody here that's ready to be somewhere else, someone else. I'm not saying, what do you mean, like Canada and uh, witness protection? No. I mean like maybe just not the boring status quo that the world tells you to live, but something better. You were created for something more. 
than just living life and getting a job and making money and going on vacation. And You were created for more than that. You get to be 65 and then you retire. Our God is a God who specializes in setting you free from that. In fact, he specializes in setting the captives free. Remember the story of Joseph? If you didn't see this, the, the Technicolor dream coat, Joseph? Kid brother who was sold into slavery in Egypt, that's what began the 400 years. You know, after he died and all, they were, the uh, Jews were in slavery for 400 years. God not only got him out of slavery and out of prison, he made Joseph prime minister of the whole land of Egypt. So he was in prison. He was a captive. God set him free. Remember the story of Joseph's ancestors in Egypt? They were enslaved. We've been talking about them all morning. And God set them free, but he didn't just set them free. He brought them eventually to the promised land. Remember the story of Israel in the time of the judges? Following this book of Joshua is the book of Judges. Year after year, generation after generation, they strayed away from God and his ways and were reportedly oppressed, repeatedly oppressed and enslaved by, by different nations. And they cry out to God and they believe and he sets them free. The whole Bible is a repeat of people wandering away from God and him setting them free, whether physically, actually, or spiritually. Our God is a God who sets captives free. He shatters our bonds. A lot of you might be under spiritual bondage, and because you're free in America, you don't realize it. The delivery he'll give you is better. It's a delivery from sin. But he won't. This is the thing about God that I love. A lot of people maybe don't. <clears throat> it's interesting, huh? a lot of people say, if God, if Jesus really died for everyone, then why isn't everybody saved? Well, God won't force his salvation on you, and you may not like that, I love that. God won't save you without your consent. He won't save you without your consent. Now, I didn't, I didn't say he, he can't save you without your consent. I said he won't. Why? Doesn't want robots. Doesn't want robots. Our God doesn't want a Stepford bunch of people. He doesn't want people that can't help but follow him. They're just robots. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to realize that he loves you and to reach out and grab hold of that. And if you won't, he's not going to force you. Because of this, one more part of Rahab's story will become your story too. That is number three. <clears throat> My story is marked by a scarlet cord. Did you know that? My story, your story is marked by a scarlet cord. Rahab's story is a story of a prostitute who faced a choice, one side or the other, sin or salvation, slavery or freedom. Isn't that your choice too? And mine? Look at Joshua 2, beginning of verse 15 now. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. <clears throat> She said to them, go to the hills to the pursuers so the pursuers will not find you. She had sent them the other way. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the man had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord, they gave her, in the window through which you let us down. So they knew where that window was. And if that scarlet cord is not there, which essentially means this. I believe, right? What would the scarlet cord mean? If it's not there, what does it mean? Nice story, guys, but listen, we got a city and I don't think you're going to win. So if the scarlet cord's not there, then the action leading to salvation, leading to true faith, there's no evidence, right? 
There's no evidence that she really believed. Maybe some of you are here today and going, you know what, I, this isn't really for me because I raised my hand as a kid, and I, or I walked down the aisle as a kid, or I stood up as a kid, or I prayed a prayer. I didn't know what I was saying, but I heard it was magical. If there's no fruit, if there's no action after what you did, then you didn't lay out the scarlet cord. You haven't been redeemed. They said, if you don't do this, we're not going to save you and your family. Unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. So you've got to bring them in, you've got to convince them to trust, and you've got to put that cord out there. Now, works don't save you, faith does. But the cord was a sign that she believed. And everybody in the house did too. By the way, nobody would have been in that house and her family unless they believed, right? Now the risk she's taking, they're all taking. They're all taking. <clears throat> How long do they take that? Well, if you know the story, Joshua and, and the people marched around the city for seven days and then seven times on the seventh day before they blew the trumpets and shouted. So for all that time, this family's living in panic. What if people find out that we're not with them, that we're with the Israelites? So they had to keep this faith and keep this secret to them for that long. If any of them go outside your house and into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you have made. So if you tell what we are doing, then you don't really believe. Or worse, and we do this a lot in American Christianity, American evangelicalism. If you try to play both sides, then you don't really mean it. And how many Christians do that? Well, you know what? I got my fire insurance. I trusted in God. I walked an aisle. I raised my hand. But you know what? There's a lot of things I want to live for here, so I got my foot in both worlds. Right now, this is what they're saying. You're going to have to commit in total faith to one or the other. If you commit here, you will be spared. If you try to put one foot, one fingertip in that other world, we cannot guarantee your safety. Agreed, she replied. Probably not like that. This is a modern translation. Let it be as you say. So she, went, she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. A scarlet cord. Red. Like blood. Hanging outside the city wall. <clears throat> of course, you probably know how the story ends. The walls came tumbling down, and that part of the wall didn't. That family remained in there until it was over, and they became a part of Israel. In fact, here's how it went, Joshua 6.20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So as that was being written, there it is. Rahab the prostitute, quote unquote. Every time she's mentioned, that's put by her name. And yet she was saved by a choice, by a scarlet cord hung outside the wall. So she living that kind of life, not only found a place of acceptance among the people of God, but she became the great-grandmother of, specifically, King David. The great-grandmother of King David. How many of you knew your great-grandmother? Saw her, met her, talked to her? I did, too. How many of you still? How many of you, your great-grandmother's still alive? Kids? Little ones? Anybody? A few of your great-grandmother's still alive. Rahab, the great-grandmother of King David. There it is. Pretty important figure. <clears throat> in the scheme of things, the royal line of Jesus the Messiah. It's quite a journey from Rahab the prostitute to Rahab 
the genealogy of Jesus Christ. All from a sinner. This is good news, gang. And a scarlet cord. But that's my story and that's yours too. If you'll let it be. Let me specifically give you where this thread is. And I can't give you all of it. Let me give you real quick. Blood of the animals when Adam and Eve sinned. God made clothes for them. Did you know he made that? And he slew an animal and took their fur and made clothes for Adam and Eve. So there's the first sacrifice. There's the first blood, the first scarlet cord. When Abraham was told to sacrifice his one and only son, sort of as a picture of God sacrificing his one and only son, Jesus. Now, Abraham didn't have to go through with it. God would go through with it. Instead, a ram was found in the thicket, and that became the sacrifice, and there's the scarlet cord again. And then as you have the Jews, as we already mentioned, in Egypt, they each sacrifice a lamb. Each family or families that got together put the blood on the doorposts, representing the blood on the cross and of the crown of thorns of Jesus. There's the scarlet cord again. Then here, there's the literal scarlet cord. Then Jesus' own blood shed on the cross. There's the final scarlet cord. The Bible says when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, this is Galatians 4, 4 through 5, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law because we broke it. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. No matter how bad you think you are, no matter how hopeless your situation, this story is there to tell you that you can be set free. You can be set free. You can be made acceptable in the sight of God, not because you earn it, not because you clean up your act, not because you go, you know, I was bad for a couple years, but for the last 10, God, look at my record. He doesn't care. Instead, you need to be able to say, look at Christ. Look at, look at your son, Lord. Look what he did. You can be made acceptable in his sight. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 12, Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. What's that all about? What's that all about? Well, you know, one of the sacrifices that the Israelites had to do <clears throat> for sins they maybe didn't even know they committed was they'd take a goat, sacrifice him outside the city gates. In fact, that's where the city, you ever heard the saying, well, they're just trying to make him a scapegoat? That's where that comes from. All the sins of the people that didn't even know would be sacrificed outside the city and would be taken care of. But the last and final scapegoat for us was Jesus. And that's why he had to be taken outside the walls of Jerusalem. The Romans didn't know that. Caiaphas, the high priest, they were puppets. They followed the scarlet cord throughout Scripture. It's beautiful when you see that thing woven in God's Word, your story and mine, and ultimately his. But again, this story's not going to be forced on you. It's your choice. Freedom's in front of you, but you don't have to take it. I don't know why you, you wouldn't, but you don't have to. I sure would like it if you did. But I bet you would like it more. Why don't you bow your heads? Unclose your eyes. You know, we're a launch team, we call it all the time. We're getting ready a movement of God that we believe is truly going to impact not only this area but beyond. And we're going to launch in August. 
But to really be a part of this team, it doesn't matter if you say before God one day, hey, I served at Impact Church, I, I volunteered, I did a lot of things. This is what you gotta get taken care of. You can do a lot of things, you can serve in every single ministry we have, but you're still a captive who hasn't been set free if you haven't accepted this price, paid for you, this gift on the cross. But if you'd like to do that now, you can. This is what's amazing. It wasn't physically hanging the scarlet cord outside the window that saved Rahab. It was the belief in her heart before she ever laid it out there. She already believed before she ever laid it out there. It's just, it's just an attitude and a change in your heart. <clears throat> Maybe you're sitting there right now and you think, but I, I feel that way, Pastor Rob, but I don't really know how to do that. Well, it'd be an honor if you'd let me pray for you. Let me lead you in a prayer, and I don't even know really what I'm going to say right now, because, and, and that's good, because my words aren't magic. They're not what's important. What's important is that right now in your heart, silently in your heart, you pray. Not to me, not to the prayer. It doesn't really matter who's sitting next to you. This is your moment with God. And talk to him from the heart. And if you mean this, he'll save you. He'll adopt you, just like he did Rahab right in that moment. If you want to be set free, pray after me in your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for that cord that immediately when there was sin in the garden, you began weaving the scarlet thread. Thank you, Lord, that I can grab a hold of that and be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life in my place. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life as Lord and Savior. Adopt me as your child. Set me free. I believe you, Lord. I believe your gift and I receive your gift. And I pray all of this for the first time, understanding and meaning it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward. Here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer, again, it's not the prayer itself that is what really matters. It's that you talk to God and you meant it. Then Paul says in Romans again, one of my favorite books of the Bible, that you pass from death to under life. You're saved. You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. You will be saved. But listen, don't keep it a secret. Don't hide it. Don't be undercover. One thing in the Bible is real clear about God is not looking for secret admirers. He wants you to go public now. So we've got a gift of, of a New Testament Bible that we want to give you. And we want to help you on your next steps. And your next steps are to get involved with a community of brothers and sisters in Christ and to begin to grow more like Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close with some prayer in just a moment. Tonight, if you get a chance to watch it, I, I would strongly encourage you to watch the uh, series as it continues on the History Channel. Tonight, what you saw about Rahab is what's going to show tonight, uh, as well as some more pivotal stories in the Bible. Father, thank you for this series, Lord. Thank you for courageous and bold hearts of uh, the folks that Mark Burnett and his wife who are 
Roma Downey, Lord, who are, have decided to take this on in a culture, Lord, in, in Hollywood where it's just so unnatural, the animosity they have against you, Lord, when every film takes your name in vain. And there's so many other things they could say, but it's, it's crazy and obvious how much hatred there is, as Romans 1 says. We don't give you credit as God. We don't worship you as God, even though as we just open our eyes and look around at creation, it's obvious that there's a creator. Lord, they've gone upstream, they've gone against the current, and they've done this, Lord, and they're just asking that it be blessed by you and that the world might know. And Father, right now, there's more people thinking about Abraham and Rahab than at any other point in history. And characters may be long forgotten by people. God, my prayer is that they'll see the scarlet thread, Lord, the scarlet cord that runs throughout your word and realize it ends and culminates in what your son did on the cross. Lord, the gospel's still the key. Father, it's not like we get saved and then the gospel's not the key. It's still what we live for and still important in our lives. Lord, help us to know that we need to reach out to the lost and love them because you love them. That's your mission. You came to seek and save those who are lost, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. I pray that Impact Church would grab a hold of it. Keep inviting people in this series, but especially on Easter, your great harvest day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week.